This is the Breakaway Podcast, presented by the National Bird Hunters Association. The NBHA's Breakaway Podcast is brought to you by Purina Pro Plan, fine-tuned nutrition to promote strength and stamina in the canine athlete and longest standing supporter of the sport of field trialing nationwide. You can fuel your champion with Purina Pro Plan using various physical and online retailers nationwide found wherever pet food is sold. Purina Pro Plan, fuel the champion within. Garmin, delivering innovative GPS-enabled technology across diverse markets, including sports and fitness, outdoor recreation, marine, automotive, and aviation. Garmin, engineered on the inside for life on the outside. Gundog Supply, the leader in training collars, tracking collars, and so much more. Fast, friendly service, great customer support, and the newest Gundog products on the market. Gundog Supply, we train our dogs with the products we sell. Mule brand clothing and apparel, outdoor clothing for all sorts of environments and conditions. From hunters and briars and wading creeks to forestry personnel, farmers, motorcycle riders, and utility workers, Mule is clothing for hunters, made by hunters for over 38 years. Find your Mule brand gear at www.okeydogsupply.com. Gun Dog Central. Gun Dog Central is a centralized location for finding your next dog, whether it be a pointing dog, retriever, flusher, versatile breed, hound, or even terrier, you name it. Gundog Central is the place to find your next canine athlete. To find your next champion, visit them at www.gundogcentral.com. Onyx Hunt, the number one hunting GPS app. Join the millions of hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt, know where you stand. And Park City's Quail Coalition. Park City's Quail Coalition is a nonprofit organization run 100% by volunteers who are passionate about sporting traditions and determined to make it available to future generations by working to sustain and restore huntable wild quail populations to encourage and educate interested youth and to celebrate the quail hunting heritage. Welcome to the maiden voyage of the National Bird Hunters Association's The Breakaway Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Hopkins, for episode one of what will hopefully be a long string of podcast episodes where we're going to talk everything bird dogs and bird dog field trials and the entire world that that covers. We're going to talk to professionals, amateurs, breeders, trainers, handlers, owners, and everybody else in between. But for our initial episode, we're going to kick it off with a Q&A session, and I can't think of anybody else better to be joined with than our chief, our sultan, our sheikh, our leader, Mr. Ken Sauer, the president of the National Bird Hunters Association. Ken, what's going on, man? Hey, not much. Thank you, Joe. You know, I'm just one of the few, okay? Takes a team. That's right. We when we do have a, we have a great team of guys. I, I, I'm... I, I'm Proud to serve on that board as the third vice president. We also have Greg Blair, who is the vice president. Tim Penn is our secretary. Ray Brown, our treasurer. And Jim Ogle serves as our futurity director. And Jacob Starnes, our second vice president. That's the team there at the National Bird Hunters Association. But, Ken, when we introduced the thought of this podcast about a year and a half ago, it was a very infant-type uh 
design or uh, thought. And just over time, this thing has kind of just kept getting bigger and bigger. And we've been coming up with ideas and we've just been bouncing things off of each other. How how could we take this to the people? How could we deliver content to the field trial world that they so desperately want? And we just thought maybe we'd start with a Q&A session and we have let uh, the listeners and the MBHA patrons kind of come up with a list of questions that we will get to later. But uh, this podcast has been a long time in the work. There's been a lot of good hype, people wanting to get involved and uh, people wanting to do interviews. So we're going to tr- we're going to cover a lot, a big range of people over the course of time. And uh, but, Ken, what I'd like for you to do to start us off is tell us about the NBHA. I am a brand new trialer. I've got a new dog. I'm looking to extend my season and I want to hold myself to a high standard of training and competition. And I've seen the NBHA. Tell me what the NBHA is, Ken. Well, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. And obviously it's important, as important to me as it is you. Um, so the NBHA started back in the 1980s and it was developed by basically a bunch of bird hunters that wanted to compete for the best dog in bragging rights. And that's really pretty much how it started out. And there's an article that was published in September, uh, I think uh, September 12th of 1981, written by Dan Smith, which was one of the founding fathers of the NBHA. And it, it, it's really pretty informative. Now, we've come a long ways since then from what the type of dog and how you handled your dog has come from. And, you know, it's it, it's a little bit different. We don't have bird fields anymore. There was a bird field involved back then. Um, and, and basically it was for bragging rights. Well, it gets go the as time goes on. Well, it got a little bit further than that. You know, they wanted to be able to title a dog, so you had to show the American field that you, you know, you had enough participation, and that was done through what we call classics, which were basically one-hour stakes. And in after I think it's a period, I don't know what exact year the first championship was awarded. I think it was somewhere around 84 or 85 is what I'd have to say. And the I, it was only an open championship. So amateurs and professional trainers all competed, you know, on the same stage. Um, the history goes back a long ways. It, it really does. Yeah. So from where we were then to where we are now, it, it's similar. We still have a course. We still, you know, it's a, have we don't have a bird field, but we plant birds probably more liberally than we did back then. Right. And everybody runs the same course. Right. Well, and everybody gets an e- equal opportunity. And, you know, from that, you know, that the handlers now, you have an open division for professionals. You have an amateur division for uh, amateurs. And then we even have, uh, um, judgment ceases at flush for some of the guys that were dogs that aren't really quite what I would call complete solid broke sure. bird dogs. But that's not saying they're not 
good dogs because they're oh, not. absolutely because they're great hunting dogs for them absolutely so it's a little more like a gun dog state yeah yeah so in today's in today's time i think you know we cover everything, even for the youth. Now the youth, we have a national award for the youth. Yeah. Big emphasis on the youth. I mean, the last five years with NBHA, we've, we've really, we've really put a lot of time and effort into kind of constructing and engineering platforms for the youth to get involved in some way or another, whether it's handling a dog that they own, handling the grandfather's dog, the dad's dog, the mom's dog or whoever. But if we can just get kids to the field trial grounds, it's like the rest of it seems to take care of itself. I mean, it involves so much things that kids are just going to be so bewildered about. The amazement just starts to kind of snowball and we can just try to get kids, you know, to a field trial. It's not going to stick with every kid. And, you know, even if you got 20% of that, two or three people, you know, 20 to 30% of that, it's a step forward because I kind of fault a little bit where we are today as far as, you know, the, I hate to put it in age category, but that's the best way to describe it is that people of my age, did we really do a good job mentoring people into the field trial? You know, yeah. we need, we need the 20, 30, 40 year old people that, that are just now starting to come back around. It's, and it's coming around. Yeah. It I is. Think we're really catering and have a product that right. they want to play in. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's the effort. It's the effort that counts. It's making that kid get up at, you know, six o'clock in the morning, but, but showing them the payoff when they get to the grounds, there's dogs, there's other people, there's horses, and there's just all kinds of cool stuff going on. And like you said, not every kid's going to gravitate towards it, but man, if, if one kid, if one yeah. kid at your club trial grabs a hold of it, you have, you've done mission work for the sport of field trial. And, and Ken, I just wanted to, chime in on this when people ask me about the mbha because in my role i have a lot of people that contact me wanting to know how do i get involved what is it what can i expect and i and i kind of give them my mbha testimony you know i'm a third generation bird hunter i've chased grouse up in the mapalachian mountains my whole life my 90 year old grandfather still gets after it i've just had bird dogs around my whole life but that that hunting scene and that landscape has drastically changed the last 20 years and the wild bird numbers. And we, you know, we could, this is a whole different podcast, but they've dwindled. And I got to looking around about 12, you know, 13 years ago and asking myself, I love these dogs and I want to keep these dogs. I love training them and I love getting out and feeding them. I love the chores, but Absolutely. how do, how do I justify keeping a string of dogs and going through the effort and laying out the capital to keep enjoying what I was doing. And that's where I stumbled upon the MBHA. The MBHA was the greatest bridge for a hunter to go out and meet other hunters, but yet satisfy that competition urge. But what I didn't know that it would do is it fostered kind of an accountability in myself. I saw these other dogs, how good they were. I wanted my dogs to be that good. I watched those guys learn from them. The first trial I ever went to, Ken, I had a dog. He, you know, in my mind, he's stone broke. I'm ready to do this. I had gotten the wheel and the gump up to do it. I cut him loose. He, he runs 50 yards and pins a bird. I mean, it's one of those situations where a bird has flown in too close to the breakaway. It just had disaster written all over it. And of course, disaster ensued. The bird was doing, you know, the, the Macarena right in front of the dog. And it was just too much. And he went with it. And the dog left with the bird. 
and I just I just kind of hung my head and everybody there could could kind of tell I was a little defeated. And I'll never forget Jim Duncan, God rest his soul, longtime field trialer, longtime NBA chase supporter, long long run uh, bird dog club here in Kentucky. He come up to me after I got my dog gathered up on the dog wagon, put his arm around me and said, this is the beginning of something great if you'll just keep going. And he stuck with me after that trial. We ran dogs together. And Ken, that was it. That was it for me. It didn't matter if I never finished another brace in my life. Just being there and the camaraderie and the dogs and the horses and everything was just was just enough. But Ken, we're going to talk more about the NBHA. Tell me about Ken Sauer. Give me a give me the brief history of Ken Sauer, the bird hunter, and then Ken Ken Sauer, the the field trialer. Oh, this started way back, gosh, late seventies, early eighties. I was a bird hunter, and uh, how I got my first dog was. You still are a bird hunter. You're still a big bird hunter. Yes. Well, yeah. I, I have places, but I'm. I root for the birds more than I do. It's it's about the dog for me today. Yeah, you know, yeah I don't sure. need to go kill a limit of birds, but right. I sure do want to see some good dog work. Absolutely. And uh, so this buddy of mine says, "Oh, we need to get after bird hunting." We that was the year, gosh, seventy seven, seventy eight. The the bird uh, limit in Texas that whatever year that was was 20 per day, 60 in possession. And wow. you couldn't go 50 yards without flushing a covey of birds. Wow. So my first bird hunt was on foot, no dog. A buddy of mine says, oh, we got to get us a dog. My poor old first dog. It, thank goodness they didn't have electric collars back then because I for sure didn't know how to use it. And it, it was like that. But that dog, I tell you what, for a meat dog, it, it was the – it was the start of it all, yeah. you know, and then, then I, so I'm interested in bird dogs and say, somebody told me, Oh, you got to get subscribed to the American field. Well, you start reading these articles and you have this huge vision of what these dogs are doing in your own mind. And I said, you know what? I need to go see one of these trials. So gosh, I, I don't remember what year, a probably 88 or so. I went as a spectator. So I show up at the at Pardon Wakefields, which, by the way, Pardon was the president of the NBHA for a while too. I went to his his ranch, and they was they were having a field trial grounds. They they were having a field trial. So I go through the gate, and drive up the road, and everything. I get to the top of the hill, and and I had a buddy of mine with me, and this gentleman comes over, Doctor Pat Parker, and he, he lives right around the corner from me now. Believe it or not. Huh. He goes, is this your first field trial? I said, yes, sir, it is. He goes, I said, is it obvious? He goes, well, you drove right through the middle of a brace. (laughs) (laughs) He said, you two boys go get on those horses over there and you just go watch all day long. And by the time I finished that, it's like the, the complete dog was there. You know, the NBHA used to be known for the most broke dogs there were because it had to be steady to wing and shot. They had to, uh, they had to back and they had to get a retrieve. So try teaching a dog that you've taught to retrieve, be steady to wing and shot. That's a whole different game. Yeah. And I played that game for years and, and 
you know, I was I was hooked. And then in about, I guess, 2005, I was elected secretary treasurer. And I held that position for a while until Tim Penn took over the secretary position. And then about 2015, I guess, I, I, I retired, resigned, whatever you may call it, from, from the board because I needed to get my business in order to, to retire. Well, in 2000 and whatever it was, 20 or 19, Greg Blair called me, asked me if I would be president. I'm going, okay, what's going on? <laughs> so anyway, there, you know, as any other, any organization exists, there's a little bit of drama going on. And, but I tell you what, the group, the board that exists today, how well we get along. We may not agree on everything, sure. but how well we get along and communicate. We communicate all the time. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's important. You know, the state directors call and they, they may not, they may call me, they may call Greg, they may call Ray Brown, our treasurer. They may call, you know, Joe Hopkins about something. And it, it couldn't be a better group of people. It's, uh, it's, it's, all. it's, it's almost, it's almost too much fun, but people would be disgusted if they saw the length of our email chains. I mean, we it, are it, constantly bouncing ideas off and just firing away with thoughts and how can we improve this and how do we reach these people? And what about this area? How can we get a club here? And, 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 and all those things, it's just an overarching, it's an overarching, um, you know, team effort. And we constantly are having to try to brainstorm to not only keep the wheels moving, but to evolve it and to make it into a product that, you know, not just a small group of people like, or the, the quote unquote field trial family like, but everybody, we want everybody to come and have a piece of the pie and, and extend their season with their dog and enjoy their dogs. And um, one thing that kind of impresses me, we're 14, 15 States deep. We have presence in, and it's nobody's personal platform. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, you it's, know? you're exactly right. It's, it's exactly right. Um, so that, that's a little bit yeah. about us. Um, I, you've told your story about, you know, the first field trial you went to. I'll never forget my uh, homeroom teacher in high school, Tony Johnson, who was a, a accomplished field trialer, horseback field trialer here in the Kentucky circuit. He heard that I had bird dogs and hunted and he, he looked at me in class one day and said, hey, do you want to go to a field trial one weekend? And I said, I'd love to go to a field trial. No idea what I was getting myself into. Ken, I didn't even know horses were involved. Hook, line and sinker is what we call it. He said, yeah, he said, be at the house at 430. And I was like, what? 430? What in the world? Well, we had to leave his house, which was in Jackson County, which was about 45 minutes away from where I live to Berea. Well, we had to load horses and we had to load dogs and there was tack and feed and just all this stuff. It was we had put in a full day's work before we got to the grounds. And then when we got to the grounds, I, I'll never forget. I think don't quote me on this. It was either the Kentucky Open Shooting Dog Championship or the Indiana Open Shooting Dog Championship. And I, I mean, I ate up every second and every minute. I will never forget the dogs that were there. George Tracy, Sean Kinkler, Mike Tracy, uh, Doug Ray was probably there. I mean, it, I mean, I'm looking back at the now and I didn't know who any of those guys were, who any of these dogs were. And 
I mean, it was just like it was hook, line, and sinker, just like what you said. And I remember Covey, um, Covey Rise, awfully amazing, won that year, and I was just enamored. I was, I was just hooked. And I remember dogs like Hamilton's Blue Diamond, uh, who yeah. was owned by the Hamiltons, good friends. I actually got a picture of their farm here painting on my wall. Um, Hamilton's Blue Diamond, High Test Skyhawk. Uh, Covey Rise, awfully amazing. Lester Snow Watch, just with the Kentucky connection and the Lester Group and the Miller Group, and man, I, I was the kid that at some point in time in my life, while other kids were you know playing video games or reading comic books, I was reading the field. But it was because somebody took the time and took me. So Tony takes me. We ride a full day. I don't stop. I'm just I'm up in the front of the gallery. At the end of the day, we're putting stuff up. And he says, you want to come back tomorrow? And I said, well, yeah, I want to come back tomorrow. Definitely. Well, what I didn't know is, is if you have muscles in your body, that <laughs> when you ride horses, you use those muscles that you don't even know you have. Well, oh, yeah. I woke up that next morning at the same time. I'd felt like I had been in a car wreck. I mean, I just could barely move. But I got the gump and I went that next day. And from there on out, I've been, just been trying to figure out how to get involved in this and stuff. And then when I found the MBHA, I Something that really resonated with me is there's there's active work being done on how to get me, Joe, the average Joe, the bird hunter, the guy looking to extend his season into the game. And it doesn't matter if you're going to go into walking trials, cover dog trials in the Northwoods. If you are already a horseback person and horseback trials pique your interest, that that's what we're after. We just want to give you the taste of field trials and competition. I myself compete in quite a few horseback trials. I love going to horseback trials, but the the walking trials are still near and dear to my heart. I still compete in those, and it's a it is a it's a number. It's a demographic that continues to grow year on year, and it's because people are just sticking their toes in the water through things like the gun dog stake, the judgment ceases at flush, right. and those avenues are somebody inviting them to go. and And that's I think the body of this podcast, what we want to encompass and all that. But I wanted to touch on one thing before we get in our Q&A, and we just wrapped up our annual awards banquet. You and I both had some conditions that wouldn't allow us to be there. You've had some pretty serious back surgery, yes. couldn't make it. I had something come up last minute and couldn't make it, but we wanted, we wanted to recognize those owners and handlers of dogs of the NBHA Dog of the Year Awards. And I've just got our amateur and open winners of our shooting dog awards, Indian Creek Bocephus. What can you say about Bo? That dog uh, is a machine. Absolutely. If he is on the ground, there are going to be birds in front of him and you're going to find him going away, standing on point. And right. Gary does an amazing job with him. Ed, Ed Marin owns him. And that, a, Ed Marin's a wonderful person. Too. Super guy, big supporter of the NBHA, great owner, great team there with um, Gary and Juliet. Yeah, just a wonderful team. Um, amateur, our amateur shooting dog winner this year was Craig's Run Roxy, just an absolute staple of the NBHA. I mean, probably one of the most consistent females on the circuit. And and it's just it's beautiful to watch Craig and Roxy run together. They they are they they have a symbiotic relationship, and he counts on her and trusts her every step. And Craig's her owner and handler. He was also our uh, amateur handler of the year too. And and um, and he's a wonder. He's a wonderful person. He is he, the best. Craig Hyatt is the best. He is yeah. the best. He is an. And if anybody can get in Craig's periphery and just talk to him and pick his brain, you will love a bird dog, or you will love field trialing. By the time he's done with you, super guy, super guy. 
Um, and Gary also won. Gary Malzone also won our Open Handler of the Year award, and and he just continues to dominate not only our NBHA circuit but the walking circuit in general. He's just a force to be reckoned with, and just so his dog. His, all all of his dogs are they're the th- they're the real thing. Every one of them. Every yeah. one. Of them. If if there's a if if there's an Indian Creek dog on the ground, you've got your work cut out for you, and and it's well rewarded in the rewards. But we did have two Hall of Fame inductions too, Ken. If you want to talk about those, yeah. So uh, Tom Woods, which has been a long time NBHA supporter, oh gosh, since back in when I first began is when I met him. Uh, he's from Oklahoma. He's a professional trainer. He guides down. It's either on the King or the Kennedy Ranch. Um, and he's hosted trials for many years. He's running trials for many years. Just a quality guy. Um, he deserve he deserves to be in our Hall of Fame and and we welcome we welcome him, you know, any every time we, we see him. And uh, the dog that got um uh, put in this year was high fives passing time. So Gary Malzone uh, is, it was the probably the last handler that had him, but uh, Bruce Menard actually had, uh, her name was country. Country. So, and I remember when Bruce had her, she was on the cover dog circuit, obviously has his prefix, the high five prefix. Right. Um, you know, this dog has seemingly been around the world has done it all pretty much. It, it has, and I remember seeing it. It was either at the NBHA National Open, or it could have been the free for all there at Camp Robinson. And Bruce and his son Neil were up there and ran a bunch of dogs. And I remember watching her run. She was something else. Yeah, I, I made the call back with her there, at Berea, at the NBHA free for all one year, and she's just she was just a dynamite dog, well deserved. Yes, and you want to congratulate uh, Ron and. Uh, Deb Levitton for you know for their ownership and sticking her sticking her out there keeping her on the circuit for everybody to enjoy watching her run yeah and and we we've we talked a lot about our youth earlier and how important that was and we did we had two youth handler awards this year our our youth handler of the year was Talon Edmondson and yeah, our so runner- he's from Texas oh so, Texas boy yeah, yeah actually that he lives, yeah yeah he actually lives pretty close to us and and uh well now don't I'm, take credit for him now just because you're his neighbor now I no, he, he runs <laughs> he runs german short hair so oh okay not, i mean think he german short hair but <laughs> he runs german short hairs sure so, and we're going to get into breeds later too there'll be a little breed talk here later too yeah and a nice young man i i guess he's graduating from high school pretty soon and cool and going out into the workforce and learning the real world and yeah, you know he's around here enough. I he 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 wants to run dogs. You know that's he great. was all excited about it. It was great. Yeah, and then Colin Ogle. I mean, that's from a bird dog family. You know, that's right. Jim Ogle, the director of the Futurity, and and uh, let's see. I get let's see. So I guess that's Jim's grandson. Grandson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah. I, just a wonderful, wonderful young man. And, you know, he gets out there and runs dogs with the best of us. And so. if I, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but he's had another youth handler of the year award, maybe last year. So it he's, last year. I have a feeling that the bug has gotten Colin and maybe he's 
he's stuck. But I could, I tell you what, that's probably made Jim smile ear to ear. Jim would probably sacrifice any other win in placement just to see Colin, you know, put that whistle around his neck and, and cut a dog loose at the breakaway. So great year for the awards. Sorry I wasn't able to make it, but I could I could literally couldn't stand up the day of the meeting. So and and the venue was at the National Bird Dog Museum. It's a fantastic venue. It is so great. It satisfies so many things that us bird dog people, the sensories that we have, the history, the visual, you know, the hallowed ground and 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 all those things. And the and Tanya and the whole team there, they are just top-notch hospitality. They roll out the red carpet. It's just a great place to do it. And we've been so fortunate enough to have an affiliation with them to continue our our awards banquet there. So that that pretty much wraps up the banquet there. A lot of other award winners. And if you're curious as to who they were or what they were, you can go visit our Facebook page, or our website. All of them have get their credits been given due and pictures and all kinds of stuff. And I'm sure along the course of this podcast, we'll bring on some of those people and and get their perspectives and stuff. So now let's get to the meat and potatoes of this. We we thought it would be a good idea for this initial episode, this this first encounter to kind of put our feelers out there and just ask the NBHA family and the field trial world what kind of questions that they wanted to get answered. What did they know? What would they want some feedback on or some context? And Ken, when I opened the gates for this, the full, I mean, it flooded. We had questions from all over the place and I warned everybody with the board. I expected everything from how do I get started to, you know, do you use do you use a pinch collar? Are you a belly band guy? Or you know, all the whole gamut of questions. And they all came through. We had our work cut out for us. We really had to try to condense these down and keep the person that's just trying to get started in mind. And also our listeners and our patrons there that are more technically in mind that want to hear some discussion about some things. So I feel like the questions that we have kind of cover, you know, a good broad spectrum of things and kind of tap on to the things people want to hear. But I, I do want to stress before we get started that this podcast is going to go into this world, into these questions specifically as we go on with different people. We plan on talking to our walking professionals, our walking amateurs. We want to talk to cover dog guys. We want to talk to horseback guys. I've even been in talks with some um, shoot to retrieve guys to come on and talk about the differences and where we can interact and what the difference is and, and where the field trial world falls between the two disciplines. I think people want to hear that stuff. And I've gotten a lot of feedback on training, Ken. People want to hear about training tips and techniques, don't they? That, yeah. And it's like for training, I, it, you know, you want to, if you just a quick brief on that subject is I learned by reading books yeah, and then visually going out there and watching and, yeah. you know, you go watch that good handler and, there's an art to handling and presenting that drop dog. Yeah. Yeah. So the dog has to be good to win, but there, sure. you know, you, you got to avoid some, some sticky situations sometimes. And if you just watch, that's how you learn. And this, this, this wave of social media that has seemingly taken over where I kind of have to lodge my responsibilities into with the NBHA there's no reason why you can't go to the internet, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and all those places and get 
that that content, whether it be more technical training stuff or you just want to satisfy those sensory urges to see bird dogs in the prairies like this time of year, Ken, the Facebook feed is getting flooded with prairie photos and it makes us all envious that have to be at home. But it satisfies that urge. And that's that's kind of what we want this field trial podcast to do is to is to give people another another place to go and, and get their fix. So let's dive into these questions. Okay. The first question was, was obviously, what is the MBHA? We talked about that. I'll give a brief over of that. The, the MBHA is a collective of bird dog enthusiasts and upland hunters looking to extend their season, build camaraderie, make memories in a walking trial format under the American field of the UKC. We have a circuit, we have point systems, we have awards our awards and our points are acknowledged through the amateur field trial clubs of America system. And now we partner with the youth field trial Alliance. They recognize that and we're in affiliation with them. It's a network of field trial people in walking. We've, we've kind of talked about that, but Ken, one of the main things that some of the people from the outside looking in wanted to know was what is the difference between the walking trials, the horseback trials, and these other formats? Like, what are the principal differences that you could explain to somebody from the outside looking in? Yeah, so, it, it, I mean, my perspective. Now, some of these affiliations I haven't participated with, like the UFTA and the NAVDA, um, those are more, I think, hunt tests. I'm not real sure yes. because I haven't participated with them. Yeah, NAVDA I, is a hunt test system. UFTA and um, NSTRA are the shoot to retrieve formats where there's live fire, there's guns involved, right. and a retrieve is is necessary in those formats. Yeah, so NASTRA, NASTRA is a little more of a, I'm not going to say a confined space, but it has a 20 or 40 acre bird field and it's you're on a point system. How many, how many birds you dog points, how many you shoot, how many it retrieves, how many backs it gets. And it's all judged on a point system, I guess, from one to ten. Um, I don't know. I've only it's been many years since I've been to when one. you when you say field trial in my region, everybody thinks you talk about shoot to retrieve. And when I tell people that I field trial, they just assume it's it's, it's UFTA or or Nastra. But they have a very stringent um, judging system, and they've got they've got scales through which they use, and it's it's extremely competitive, and it's a great format. And but there are some differences in what we do with the MBHA and them. What are those differences? So it's you know, like I said, theirs is more in a bird field to go find birds within the 20 or 40 acre pasture. Ours is a course. So it's it, and that course is supposed to somewhat mimic uh, uh you know, uh we're gonna unload the dogs here, let's go, let's go work this pasture and we're gonna make a big old loop. That's pretty much what we are. We're 30 minutes for a weekend trial, hour for classics, uh, regional championships, and national championships. Um, and it's not necessarily the quantity of fines. I would have to define it as the quality of fines. Mm -hmm. And it's a complete dog when you get to the championship level. You know, it needs to be steady to wing and shot. It needs to have a forward ground pattern. Yeah, I, I tell everybody the American field format is more or less a, a bigger body of work. We we want to see ground race. We want to see application into, you know, cover that makes sense for birds. We want to see that dog make decisions. And we take all of those things and make an abstract judgment based on our judging panel. And they 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 make those decisions. 
Yes, and you know, and it it, and it is kind of discretionary. Different judges like different things. They still have to kind of come. Uh, they still have to comply with our bylaws, our rules that are there. But you know, they they're looking for broke dogs. Yeah, and for the most part, MBHA and, and all the formats that fall underneath the American field, we we all have very very similar or related um, standards and and rules, so to speak. So. If you go to a MBHA trial, there's a lot of crossover with a, you know, horseback trial. The standards are still there. The, the main difference there is you're handling your dog off the horse. Most of the gallery is on a horse. At a walking trial, our judges, for the most part, are on horses. And a lot of our gallery members are on horses. They're scouting on horses. But, you know, there's dog wagons and there's people driving gallery wagons. And there's people just out there good for the day that just want to walk and see and see dog work. They're getting exercise. And it's a great way to do that. So those are some of the main framework differences in those formats. This is another podcast in itself, but we're going right. to keep moving down the line. And, and all these questions can be fielded to us on our Facebook page or whatever. But the next question is, how do I get involved with the MBHA? And if you're asking that question, you've either seen us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or our website, and you're curious, how do you get involved in the MBHA, Ken? So there's plenty of ways to get involved. Number one is, you know, come out and be a spectator. That's how I started. It, it, it's a it, it's a wonderful venue to see the action of dogs. If you you know if you like the bird dogs in the upland, you, you get to see plenty of plenty of bird work. You know the camaraderie with people. You know, and they all have similar likes. Um, so there's always great conversation. You know. You know, if you're curious, go to the nbhadog.org website, and those are the they'll that's where you'll find the events listed and where they are, who the trial chairman is. Um, you reach out to the trial chairman and just ask them what's going on. Do they have a gallery wagon that I can ride on? You know, it, unfortunately, some venues may not allow you to use UTVs or uh, right. or TVs. But you know they'll usually always let you have ride a horse. But uh, if you don't have a horse, you know, I, I, I'm not real good about loaning out my horses just because of uh, right. Uh, yeah, mine are have a little bit of fire to them, so yeah. I don't. <laughs> so, but you know, to get involved, you know, stay with your local organizations. There's state directors that are listed on our website. Get in touch with them. If, if you don't get a reply from them, call one of the board members. Yeah, yeah. Message us on Facebook. Say, hey, I'd like to yeah. go to this. It's in my neighborhood. Who do I talk to? Where do I go? We we promise we will make accommodations and arrangements for you to find that, find the place, find the venue, but also get hooked up with somebody that will kind of, you know, shepherd you and answer questions and and make sure you know where you're going and what's here and what's there and what's going on there. And that's what happened to me. I went to an MBHA trial. Somebody saw me and said, okay, this guy, he need he needs a guide. He needs some yeah. help. And I'm forever indebted to those people that put their arm around me and said, this is why this is happening. This is what this person is doing. This is why. So there's no, there's no excuse not to get involved. We've got all these yeah, avenues to get involved. And don't be afraid to lend the hand to the trial chair too. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, the trial chairs, the state directors, the, the club presidents. It, they'll find a job for it. They yeah, will find, find a job. A job there's a lot of work. There's a, there's a lot of work. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, next question. 
one of the bigger ones it's a it's kind of a broad question but i think i think i've narrowed it down to the to the to the content that the 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 questionnaire was asking was does the mbha have a membership fee so i think this person is thinking that okay if if i need to participate there's got to be an annual fee or there's got to be some sort of fee to belong to this organization and i'm happy to say the answer to that is no there is right. no fee now Ken, there is a fee, though, and it's specific to the trials. Tell us a little bit about how that works. Correct. So the the revenue base that we use beyond our sponsors is we call it a dog tax. I, I guess that's the best way to phrase it. And, for, you know, for every entry on at a field trial, uh, the, the hosting club pays a $3 per dog drawn or entered in that in those states. That's how we collect the revenue. Technically, everybody who shows up at an event is, is, is a member as far as we're concerned to the NBHA. Absolutely. So is there, going back to what you said, is there a fee? No. Uh, is there a club fee? No. No. And it, it, no. it does, it, it would, it would, we do need to talk about where the AFTCA, the Amateur Field right. Trial Clubs of America falls. Now they do have a membership fee in order right. for your placements in amateur stakes under the American Field Umbrella to count in their point system. So the Amateur Field Trial Clubs of America, they have their own point system. And if you want to belong to that, to that membership and have your placements count in their point system and be acknowledged in their database, it's a $50 annual fee. And I just paid mine just a while back. Yeah. Um, the AFTECA is not just uh, a group for amateurs. It is a it is a promulgator of the sport. They actively uh, put together programs and host championships. And they are they are one of the bright shining diamonds of our sport. Really? Um, and they sponsor, they sp- pretty much sponsor our national amateur national championships. Yes. Too. Good point. That's, that's how we, that's how we got the amateur nationals. That's that, and 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 a lot of our MBHA clubs will actually host AFTCA championships this year, and that's that's always great when we can put that MBHA logo with the AFTCA's logo. It's just a it's a it's a great marriage of things. Next question, I I, I love this question. I didn't even think we'd get questions like this. Can I show up the day of the trial and run? Can uh, I've just seen it the night before. Can I show up to the trial and run? I've answered that question more than once. <laughs> well, if you look at, if you follow the events on the NBHA website, and and they're usually on our Facebook page too. They come out on that, and that ad's usually posted you know, three or four weeks ahead of of the day of the event. It has on there a, um, a drawing day. You have to enter your dogs prior to that drawing day. That's that's part of it. And a yeah. dog entered is a dog is a dog drawn. So if you don't show up, technically you still owe the entry to. And the so. UKC and the American field, and even within our organization, we have standards that we set to make sure that those ads and that advertising time frame is well in advance. And and we right. make sure it hits our face, our socials, our website. It's in the American field, the actual magazine. And it's on their website as well. So there's plenty of time for everybody to get their feelers out. But it's probably a job to learn where to find that information. How do I, where's the best place to go? Well, we, that's the interesting you said. You know, like a, last year, a year before, we we voted to, to upgrade our website. 
it, it's a lot easier. It's it's got a it's calendar based. It shows that there's an event on a certain day. You click on it and it goes to that ad. So it's we try to make it a little bit more user friendly. You know, granted we're in the first year of I'm not going to say it's a beta test of of a facelift, but we like a lot of things about the website the way it's been uh, retrofitted. We, we we didn't want any guessing. We wanted you to go to a spot and get all the information you needed in that spot. And our website, the greatest place to do that. Okay, Ken, I can't show up the day of a trial and run, unfortunately, but I'm going to get better. I'm going to check my calendars. I'm going to subscribe to the field. I'm going to go to the MBHA website. What kind of dog do I have to have to run? You've already said that poor Talon has got German short hairs and give him a bad name. So can I run my German short hair? What breed of dog do can I run in a field trial, Ken? It is open to all upland pointing breeds. Uh, you probably wouldn't want to run a flushing dog considering we have a uh, a uh, wing and shot requirement. <laughs> we love flushing dog. dogs. Probably not going to get you <laughs> yeah. far in our game. Yeah, that's probably not going to get you very far. But, you know, it, they have their own venue. and it, it's it's. But as for ours, you, you know, in the, the broke dog states, let's talk about those. It's open. An amateur open shoot or or open amateur shooting dog state. Those require a dog to be broke, and we're going to say a complete dog. I'm going to use that phrase. When you say broke, you mean steady to wing and shot. The dog steady goes on point. Handler goes in front, puts that bird to flight. The dog has to stand there through that flush. You're going to fire that blank pistol, and that dog has to stand there through that shot as well. That's what we call, that's what we refer to as manners. And that's what we refer to as broke, right, Ken? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, derby and puppy stakes, it's a little more liberated. Go read the rule book. The rule book's available on nbhadog.org website. It's can be very subjective or controversial do derby dogs that are broke always win? No, not necessarily. It's about application. It's about that dog and what it's going to take it. And do you think it's going to make it to the next level as a shooting dog? Right. And we're, we've got, oh my goodness, the amount of questions that came in on derbies and the standards of derby dogs. And, and we need to address what those are. Um, puppies are just that. They're puppies. Um, we have an age chart that we like to use that filters through the internet every year. We make it available, I believe, on our website. And if not, if you it would is. like that, we can make that available to you. But it tells you based on when your pup was whelped, what stakes it can run in up into a certain time before it will graduate into the next stake. We have puppy stakes, puppy age. We have derby age dogs, which what I, I refer to people as our juvenile age dogs up to two years old. And that, yeah. Teenagers, gangly teenagers trying to figure out where they where they stand in the world. And then after that, we have our adult dogs, our shooting dogs, our all-age dogs, our dogs that we talked about that are broke. And we're, we're probably going to talk a lot more about that too. But the next question falls right into that. What manners are expected at trial? And, and the thing about that is, is, well, what stake are you running? If you're running a puppy stake, it's it's like herding cats. We're just out there to see that puppy run. We we, we want to see if that puppy likes to get out and cover and run, maybe run a line or chase a butterfly or or just enjoy being out. That's what we want to see out of puppies. And it's very subjective. It's very abstract. 
But that's that's what we want to see. Really no standard at all there. It's the hardest. That's probably the hardest stake to judge. The hardest. The by far the hardest. It's yeah. it's like sorting cats. That's right. Uh, yeah. Uh, you get in your derby age. We'll talk more about this. But those dogs are also, they're judged on potential. They're, they are to be judged on potential. Those dogs do not have to be broke. That does not mean that Ken Sauer does not like to show up to a trial with broke derbies. If Ken Sauer wants his derbies broke, that's his program, and he has that right to do it. But the guy next door, he may not like his derbies broke till later on. He just doesn't like to do that, adds that pressure later on, or his his line of dogs appreciate that training later. And that judge, I mean, we talk about this till we're blue in the face. It's up to the discretion. It's important to have competent, experienced judges to make that call, to know what they're looking at potential-wise. Right, Ken? Absolutely, absolutely. And like you said, you know, program I run, I, I want my derby dogs to be broke. Well, not everybody, not every dog and everybody wants their dog. Some dogs can't handle the pressure that it takes. That's right. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, well, that dog's not going to run. And so you go to where you're going to enter a dog in a derby stake that's broke. Now you have to make a judgment call. Well, is my brace mate going to be broke? Is he going to back? Right. Oh, because, you know, at that age, that dog will have a setback. You know, if dogs are taking birds out in front of it, and that's that's tough on a young dog. And I tell this story all the time. I had a dog that was real precocious. I mean, every time I gave him something else to do, he did it and wanted more. And I just kept giving him more and more took him up and I started running him and shooting dog stakes pretty, pretty yeah. early in his career. Cause I felt like he was ready, but it was that pressure that had kind of, kind of surmounted on him. I could see this dog start to wilt a little bit, Ken. Yep. I yep. could see him start to lose that fire. Like he was going to run off the edge of the world or his eyes were going to bug out of his head when he was pointing birds because that pressure had kind of mounted up in such a way at his progression at that time of his being I had to put I had I had to hit the pause button and I was calling all my friends and confidants saying, Hey, look, what do I do? This dog's wilting on me. He's looking around and he's looking a little bit timid. And I just had to stop on him. I had to put him back and let him be a dog for, you know, a month and let him hit the reset button. It's a lot like what we do in the thoroughbred industry. I've got a thoroughbred background. When a horse just seems to come out of the bridle, we put him back in the barn. We turn him out to pasture for a while and let him hit the reset button. And dogs kind of the same way. But derbies do not have to be broke. They are to be judged on a standard of potential and prospect. A, a dog may go out there and have a flawless run with five broke fines, but if he doesn't get 50 feet away from your boots, there's a significant problem there versus the dog that maybe has one or two fines. Yeah, it's not so broke, and he's he's inching up a little bit, but doggone, he ran. He was in every spot you wanted him. He was on every line he should have been on. He was hunting the birdiest spots, and you're looking at him thinking, man, that's going to make a great shooting dog. It's That's the discretionary part, the competency right. of your judges. It's so important to have good judges, and we at the MVHA, we, we don't stress this. We stress this so much. Here's yes. a list of people. He is a great judge. She is a great judge. That's wonderful. Get them. They know what they're looking at. When you come to MBHA trial, we have good judges. We have good framework of people that like to judge MBHA trials, and they know what they're looking at. And that, that Ken is um, is critical. Um, it is one question. One uh, another question I got was, what gear do I need? And and I want to answer this because I've answered this before in person. 
You don't yeah, need anything but a dog and a good set of boots. That's all <laughs> you need. Because when you go to a field trial, I promise you, you are going to, you can bum and borrow anything you need. Right, Ken? Well, I don't know if I really want to loan my whistle out, but, (laughs) (laughs) you know, some people don't use whistles either. So, you know. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are those basic items, Ken? What are those basic items? A blank pistol. You know, I've always been a guy that wore chaps just because if you got into cover that was thorny. Sure. You know, usually, let me think, you know, maybe a water bottle or something, be able to water your dog. Sure. Because the gallery sometimes has water on their on horseback, sometimes they don't. So you need to think about that ahead of time, especially right. when it's the warmer time of year. Um, and it's not a requirement to wear orange. We and have a lot of people that do, and that's great, but it's not a requirement. Yeah, and and a tracking collar. You know, people say, well, I don't need a tracking collar on my dog. Well, the one time you do need it and you don't have it on there, you'll be sorry you didn't have it. And, and I've told you that story, a gentleman that me borrow, and you both know. Borrow it. Yeah. Borrow it. <laughs> a, a, there was a guy that showed up one day at Berea and I offered him my collar. He didn't have one. He said, I don't need that and really don't want it. I said, you know, if you'll just put it on, it'll make us all feel better if something happens, if if she gets lost. No, don't want that. And I can't remember, Ken, it was either three hours later or three days later, we finally found that dog. And it's just good to have or borrow a good Garmin tracking collar. And we've got great sponsors that facilitate that. Garmin's one of our sponsors, the leader in GPS dog technology. And you can buy that collar at Gundog Supply, the leader in sales of all tracking collars and training collars. Those people, you call Steve Snell, and I promise you, he's going to hook you up with the unit that you need. He knows he's a bird hunter. He knows what you have to have. Just call him and talk to him. They'll get you into that. But blank pistol, tracking collar, good pair of boots, chaps, a whistle if your dog's whistle broke, you know, a hat, sunglasses. But if you forget anything or can't buy those (laughs) things, don't let that get in the way of coming and cutting the dog loose. People will be, I've had stuff given to me. You talked about, you know, having stuff given to you or giving people things. And it was a great way to kind of make a bridge there. The one piece of gear you need to bring is, or, or not bring is don't be intimidated. Yeah. Yeah. Bring a good mindset. (laughs) I mean, yeah, we've all been to our first field trial. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It it may see a little, may see a little, seem a little out of place at the time, but you know, you, you get comfortable. You get but, real comfortable. Exactly. Quick. And you you make friends. And that's and that's yeah. that's when it gets fun. Yeah. Uh very important question. Good question. Glad it was asked. Are there any handicap accommodations at an MBHA trial? Yes, there is. So there's two requirements. Well, I'd say well, there's there's a requirement that involves paperwork. There's a form on the NBHA website that you fill out and it requires a state placard. So you have to send a copy of the state placard and your application to the president, and he either approves or disapproves, and then your name actually goes on the website as handicapped status, and it also, I don't know if it shows your expiring time, but based upon the placard, that's the expiration date for it. Now, the other piece of the puzzle is, is if you're going to ride a UTV or an ATV, do the grounds allow it? Sure. So most most grounds. grounds are state owned and federally owned grounds, and they're really particular about what can be on the grounds. I can tell you here at the grasslands, you know, 
there you can't we can't ha have a handler and a dog wagon out there at the same time we're only allowed one vehicle out there at once so right right so you yeah. but you do have options yeah atv yes, utv option and then you can you can handle a dog horseback in an mbha trial yes yeah yes and there's certain rules to it you need to go read it because yeah. it's about pace yes. you know you have to be at a walking pace no matter what yes at the be, event you got to be conscious of your brace mate you can't yes. You can't use that vehicle or that horse to to manipulate your dog's ground race. You can't use that to get to a point, you know, fast. First thing you want to do is just go barreling through the dog on point and get there as quick as you can. But you have to do it at a what we call a gentleman pace in Berea. We want a good gentleman sportsman's like walking pace, whether you're on foot, whether you're on ATV or UTV. I thought that was a great question. Yeah. Um, let's let's we've talked about this quite a bit, Ken, but let's go over this just skin deep with with judging standards we've okay. talked about the puppies we talked about the derbies let's go to our shooting dogs and let's talk about those standards a little bit more really quick as to what's expected of, of maybe a shooting dog yeah so a shooting dog you want want that dog to have a forward pattern and a 10 to 2 you know visual out in front of you yeah, to you the front. To be, yeah, to the front. You don't have to be able to see that dog all the time. And, you know, and, and with that is, you know, some of my most memorable finds are you come up over a hill and there your dog is 200 yards ahead of you on point. That, right. That's classic for yeah. me. That's, that, that's heart pounding. Yes, it is. And, you know, they need to be, they need to be steady to wing a shot. Now, I've seen at different events, ju different judges sometimes judge things a little bit different. But once that handler walks in front of that dog, it's not to take another step. Yeah. For me, it, if it marks a bird and you don't have to holler, whoa, it, it, I, I'm usually okay with that as a judge. As a judge, as Ken the as judge. A judge. Yeah, okay. that's as a judge. And you'll but, find other judges too, Ken, that will be like, absolutely not. Yeah, like, we don't want to see, yeah, yeah, pick, pick that dog up. up. We don't want to yeah. see that dog lift a foot or even think yeah. about marking a bird. And that yeah. that's the abstract nature uh, yeah, of this whole thing. But there's other standards too, aside from, you know, just the bird work. Your your dog has to back, like that's extremely right. important. If your dog can't back, yeah. I mean, you you won't you can't win ribbons if you can't back. And some of the best dogs on our circuit have been machine backers. I mean, they're just like the pop up things. You hit a remote, right. and they're statues. It just it's right. it's incredible. Um, steady to flush. Bird gets up wild. That dog needs to needs to stand still and let you know that that bird has left or there was movement of a bird. And that's another piece of mannerism that's that's highly 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 needed on any yeah. American circuit and, and that's a situation where it's hard for a handler when that dog is over the hill and you come up that hill and it's standing there and it, it may have had a stop to flush and you weren't there right to see the bird lead so now that's a handler decision you know you got to know your dog sure you, know, you go in and try to flush if you go in and try to flush it could be considered unproductive but if you collar your dog off because you think it was a stop to flush and the judge rides by there and sees the bird, well, maybe the judge has in his, in his mind, well, can a 
dog really handle that situation? That's a yeah. good point. And, you, and you know, there, there's variables. And I've walked with several people in their first brace to kind of coach them through, you know, that, and that's available to new trialers. Oh. Say, yeah. you know, if you want somebody to walk with you to kind of coach you and to help you with protocol and um, etiquette and things like that and what to do and what not to do, that that that's totally available. But I've I've walked with people before and they've they've had an unproductive uh-huh. and they think it's over. They think, oh, yeah. well, this is me over and me done. But it's it's not. And that was another kind of a question that we've not got a lot of time to deal with. But if my dog has an unproductive. Is that the end of the road? And the answer is no. Right. No. That's right. Exactly. No. Yeah. You know, um, that dog may go. Of, there could be a big pile of feathers there. That's exactly right. Yeah. You no, know, And it may not even count as an unproductive. So. Yep. That's it, right. Yeah. So yeah, sure. We're looking for a complete dog. Complete dog end. in our shooting dog stakes. Right. Right. Um. But Ken, unproductives, we've talked about that, standards for the other dogs a little bit. You know, those are all discussions in themselves. But what if my dog doesn't find any birds in, in his or her brace? Well, if we go birdless in a brace, what happens? Well, if you read the rule book, you know, it doesn't really address that. So can, can a placement be awarded based upon its run? The answer to that is yes. Yes. And, and it's appli- run and application. Yes, it it yes. And and you and I both have been to trials, more so horseback trials, where birds were few and far in between. And the only thing you had to sort those dogs out were, were their race, their ground right. application. And it's a very, very important part of what makes what you're calling a complete dog is that is that ground race. And sometimes that's all you have. So you might have a dog with one find and everybody's struggling, but your dog may hit the ground and just be doing everything right every step. And that judge may actually like your dog better than the dog that's had the fine. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, what if my dog can, can't adhere to the standards that we've talked about that I, they're just not ready to be broke as a shooting dog. I'm not ready to do that to him yet, but I still want to get out there and trial. I still want to get out there and be competitive and get involved in BHA. Is there a place for me? Is there a state for me? Yeah, judgment ceases at flush. That's a gun dog, a hunting dog. You know, it's exactly what it says. You need to be able to walk in front of your dog and your dog not take the birds, put the birds in the air. But it's exactly what it says. Judgment ceases at flush. Yeah. When the birds lift, judgment stops. So if that dog, obviously you don't want it going over there and catching a bird. And, right. You know, bringing it back to you. But, you, you know, you. You ought to be you ought to be able to call your dog and move on to the next to the next fine. Yeah, and if we're going to get technical, these dogs that compete in our uh, judgment ceases at flush stakes or what we'll coin as gun dog stakes for short, because it's a mouthful. And I'd I'd <laughs> love to get that changed to gun dog stake, but another that's another topic for discussion. That's another year. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> my dog goes in. I've got my hunting dog. He has to point that bird and he has to hold that bird until I put that bird to wing. And then that dog can release. He can give chase. But you do need to be able to kind of get that dog gathered back up and keep going down the course. Like, we don't need to go chasing Bob two miles down the road. That dog still needs to handle. But, Ken, I can't tell you how many people have gotten their start or their foothold into the NBHA and walking trials, horseback trials, whatever it be, because they started in a gun dog stake. They had the one dog. They had the dog box in the pickup truck. And that's where they started, and that that's where they caught the bug. It's a super important stake in our trial world, isn't it? I, I tell you, so over the last three years, 
uh, you know, Texas kind of numbers kind of fell off. So I started hosting NBHA trials and I always had judgment ceases at flooded flush stakes. And I've, you know, you have 12, 14, 16 shooting dogs and whatever, eight or 10 derbies and, you know, maybe a pile of six, eight, 10 puppies. And our gun dog stakes, our sheep, uh, judgment ceases at flush uh, stakes, they could have 20 dogs in it. And yeah. it's, ama- it's amazing. And and here, we've been pretty lucky here in Texas. Uh, most of those uh, folks that have been running judgment ceases at flush, they're going to start running broke dog stakes. Yeah. It really doesn't take that much more training to get the dog steady to wing and shot. And it's you know? it's a great place to kind of hold yourself accountability to take your dog to yep. that next step. And for you as a trainer, you see these other yep. dogs in these shooting dog stakes and you look at your dog and his potential and the prospect and you think to yourself, man, my dog could do that. And yep. it kind of gives you that spur in the side there to take that dog on and to compete in those, in those larger shooting dog stakes. But man, the number of people that got it's, started in gun dog stakes that are, that are our staple in our sport now is it's, yep. it's crazy. And that's such a good first place to start. Yeah, and at the end of the day, if you want a CH in front of your dog's name, you're not going to get it through Judgment Ceases at Flush venue. Right. You're going to have to get you're going to have to get up to the broke dog stakes. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's a natural progression. It's a great place to right. start. Great natural progression. Hey, I had hunting dogs. I know exactly. I've, I know exactly where. I've got hunting dogs right now. I've got <laughs> I've got a dog that belongs nowhere near a field trial. But if there's a gun dog stake, I'm taking Boone and I'm entering him in the stake and we're going to have fun. And it, it's it's great. It's another way to, to use that dog and to give that dog opportunities. It's a hunting dog. It might be a trial dog that you just say, heck, he's he's going to chase birds until he's leaves this earth. But he can do this gun dog stake. Great place for that dog and that handler. I have an individual that's that he lives I don't know a couple hours away. And he started running in, in judgment ceases at flush. Well, he's come up here and we've kind of trained together a little bit. Well, he's been to a few trials now. And I want to tell you what, he has progressed with that dog from the judgment ceases at flush. Everybody around here gives him back time to let him run in it anymore. Because he's got that dog so broke. You know, yeah. I witnessed the most beautiful stop to flush with that dog I've ever seen. <laughs> and it's like that's a Brady. <laughs> One of the best performances in a walking trial that I can remember was in a gun dog stake. This dog literally was just banging birds out right and left. Never seen a dog so program on birds, and he was in the yeah. gun dog stake. And you're sitting there thinking, "Geez, I'm really glad that that dog is not in the shooting dog stake, or right. I would be in trouble. <laughs> I'd be in trouble." Yeah. But yeah, great, great stake, great venue, and serves a purpose and for a lot of different people. And you need to give it a try especially if you're a new trial. And we're banging out these questions really well. We've condensed some of these a little bit. We don't need to go too much farther into these because, you know, you can get into the weeds on some of this stuff. And the fact of the matter is a lot of these things you can read for yourself. Like you need to go and get familiar with the standards. You need to get familiar with the rules, the bylaws and our rules are on our website. The AFTCA publishes a handbook that has all their standards and rules and stuff get familiar with those things. And I promise you, you can go anywhere in an American field sanctioned trial and compete and know what you're doing and know what's expected. So one question that we got that I thought was had merit was 
what can I win at a field trial? Like I've fished in bass tournaments and I've won trophies and checks. I've, I've been in sports and got the, you know, the little cheap plastic. What, what can I win at a field trial, Ken? I won a bass boat. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I hate to say the trial chairs are really in charge of that. And, and you'll find at the, in the classics and championships, you know, those purse, whether it be a purse or a prize or usually better but so are the entry fees so the purses and the prizes are a huge expense to hosting a trial so you know in a weekend trial you know you may get a ribbon you may get a plaque um you know there may be a an award like from one of our sponsors gift cards vouchers dog food various things we're real good about supporting our sponsors through that prize program, you might say. Um, you know, and you get to the bigger levels, it's cash payouts. And then, you know, there's always a question about can can an amateur take a cash purse in an open stake? Hey, Ken, before you answer that, let's let's tell our listeners okay. that on the outside looking in, what makes me a professional versus what makes me an amateur? And give me that 30000 feet view of that okay so i went back to the aftca website and and read that um and basically took it right from their words it says any person who receives or has received either directly or indirectly compensation for training or dog handling including handling dogs on a plantation or or shooting preserve other than their own or those who immediate family members is not an amateur. So if you've been paid for it, you're not an amateur. And we need to preface all this by saying it's, it's on you. It's on you to learn this stuff. And, and we can tell you to we're blue in the face, or we can give you our interpretations of these things, but you need to get your hands on the language and read it yourself and then ask the appropriate parties, whether it be our board, your state director, AFTCA officials, trial chairmen, all those people and powers that be to get them to explain it to you. If it is fuzzy to you or you don't understand it, or if you're afraid you're going to be infraction of, of one of those things. But that's another question that, that we, we do get, but you answered that question about what you win a trial. Yeah. There's some money to be won at trials. Ribbons are fairly, thing we we one year we gave one of our winners some um custom embroidered chaps and we've done that for judges too they love people love custom stuff jackets hats you can expect stuff like that um all saddles, kinds of saddles, saddles I mean, yeah saddles have yeah, gotten to be a big thing like saddles you know with embossed you know your dog's name what yeah. it was the event i mean i've i've seen a bunch of them i have a bunch of them fortunately but you know at the end of the day Belt buckles. Belt buckles, right. Yeah. It's really about what the trial chairs figures he can fit in his budget. Yeah. Don't don't expect to go and be able to buy a yacht after winning a weekend trial. But when you go up to the championship trials, those those prizes and those cash payouts and stuff like that, they do they do start to step up and 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 become a little bit more um, significant. So 
we've talked about getting started in judgment season to flush. We've talked about my puppy that's going to come and he's going to learn to be a trial dog and get used to horses and people and other dogs and gunfire. And then I'm going to take that dog onto his derby age where we start to kind of pull the reins in on him and teach him to be a dog. He gets to that finished product and I get that placement on him. Yeah. I want to run in championships now, Ken. I want, I want to be, I want to run with the big dogs. How do I qualify to run in a championship? You do not receive technically a win certificate in a puppy stakes. No. If you if you place in a derby stake, really that dog is 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 uh, qualified pretty much for life just about in any venue, whether it be AFTCA. Um, now in the AFTCA, you have to have a win certificate as an amateur. So if you run in an open derby state and you're an amateur handler and it's reported that way to the AFTCA, you receive a win certificate for handling. The, I'm pretty sure the dog does not. It has to be an amateur state that you place that dog in to receive that certificate. So, And, and it's important to note, too, certain circuits have their own restrictions on these type things. They, they want specific. I know some of the wild bird trials – and some of the trials up north, they, they want specific type placements in order to qualify for certain championships or whatever. There, I'm sure there's other circuits that have the same kind of qualifications. It's not just a placement. But if you can garner a placement. that First, you, second, or third. Yeah, first, second, or third, depending on the number of entries and whatever stake you ran in, um, that will usually get you into a championship or some form of championships. But there again, that's another place to contact those powers that be before you enter that championship. Let them know where you've placed, have that proof, tell them what trial I've got this and it was then and and be sure you qualify yourself before you go jumping in and find out you don't actually qualify to begin with. You can look up that on the NBHADog.org website, a history on your dog, and it actually shows archival placement in information right when you bring it up so yeah that's so, with the nbha it doesn't cross-reference yeah, with the aftca or anybody yeah, else we make it super easy because we have our own database and you can look up those individual dogs and see their resume and know real quick yes. whether they qualify or not yeah. that that was another another good question best question maybe can I bring people with me to a field trial, Ken? I'm going to come and I'm going to maybe spectate or, com or maybe compete. Can I bring Uncle Uncle Bill or can I bring my nephew? Can I bring somebody? Yeah, tell Uncle Bill to bring a rack of ribs for lunch, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. It's about camaraderie with people of like such. And will those people always be able to see and watch a brace? That depends on what's there, you know. Here at the Grasslands, we have a, a bird planting wagon and a dog pickup wagon out on every brace. Technically, it's not a gallery wagon. So seeing a, you know, a, a, a UTV out there with eight people on it is is not going to ever happen there. But some venues have real dog wagons that are pulled around with a horse yeah, trailer. That's right. Not yeah. necessarily horses, but a tractor. And so, and. And all those options are open. You can walk. You can you can, you can probably if, if you're a horseback rider, but you don't you know nothing about bird dogs. It's a great excuse to come ride horses. Yeah. Um, and you know, depending on where you're competing or where the trial is held at, it might be a venue where you can take your UTV or ATV. 
Uh, yep. You might you might get lucky and bum one of those vehicles or a horse or something like that if you come. But I would highly, you know, encourage people to to find at least one person to bring with you, right? That's a- absolutely. It was like my first experience, you know. Right. I had a buddy of mine. Well, he didn't, you know, he never progressed in the field trial. But my gosh, you know, I've been doing it since the 80s. And, you know? and I look back at my story and Tony could have looked at me and said, well, there's no way that little skinny punk can ride a horse all day long. <laughs> but the fact that he brought me anyways, totally changed the trajectory of, of my involvement in the sport and the love for the sport. So yes, bring people, bring lots of people and they sure make a winter photo look even better when there's oh, a lot yeah, of people they standing do. in them, don't they? I tell people <laughs> all the time when we're working on our, on our um, reports and stuff, Grab everybody, get get the lunch people, get the dog wagon driver, you know, grab a mannequin if it's there, get people in the picture. It makes it look so good and so fun. Yes, and it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun for everybody. I bring my grandkids. They have a blast. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Good friend, Tim Mulvaney, Mike Fox, they bring their grandkids and they have more fun that should be legally allowed. I mean, <laughs> they're going around like selling us stuff and they're picking up <laughs> shotgun holes from the trap and they're, they're doing, they're having, they're having the best time of their life. And they even get to handle a dog, you know, even the over the course of the day, they get to blow that whistle and, and do all kinds of great stuff. It's a great, great, great opportunity. So we're, we're down at the end of this list, Ken, and we've answered a bunch of these questions in some form or fashion, or at least touch on them. But the, the last and most important question here is who do I contact to help get me started? Who do I go to? I, I want to go, but I'm just not going to show up unannounced. Who do I talk to to come do an MBHA trial? Well, first you get you got to pick which you know event you're going to go to. That that resides on the MBHA website for the, for the event. And it always has a trial chair listed. For somebody to turn the drawing your drawing into, whether you participate or not, that would be the person to call. You know, right on our website, it has the state directors. I think you can even contact them via email through our website portal. Um, if you don't ever get a response from, you know, somebody somebody's always in the is it within the state, whether it be a club. Uh, president or what to be able to call to find out about that event, what the venue is. Can you come out there? Can I bring people uh, all the above? Right. Right. The, the, the answer to that to me is contact somebody like yes. let somebody know you're coming. Don't be afraid to tell them I'm new. I don't know what to do. Heck, I don't even know where to park. Right. You know, <laughs> tell them everything because we're dying to help you. We're, we yeah. are, we're trying to find you the new person and to help coach you through it. We'll show you where to park. We'll show you where to stand. We'll show you exactly what to do from step one all the way to the finished product. You go to our website. You can contact us by email. You can contact all of our national board members individually, your state directors. If you want to go to more of a regional or state level, you go to our Facebook page, find somebody in the comment section and just say, Hey, can you, can you help me or send us a private message or whatever? And I promise you, someone is going to shepherd you and answer questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think this was a good start to this podcast thing. I I wanted to do this because I really, I think we all at the NBHA kind of have a heart for the new trialer. 
and Excellent. we want them to make we want them to feel comfortable and we want them to satisfy those competitive urges and to be able to extend their season and their relationship with their dogs and all those and all those great things and i want everybody to know that that this field trial world is broad and it's all encompassing and there's different disciplines and different people but we have to keep in mind that we all share the same thing and it's the love of the dog we love our dogs. We love being with them. We love handling them and training them. And that's what we need to keep in mind as we go through a field trial season. Don't get downtrodden if you can't compete or don't win. Don't give up because it's not about that. It's about the experience. It's about being like-minded people, like you said, Ken. Yeah, there was there was a guy this many moons ago, I guess back in 10, I was fortunate enough to have a really nice dog and I won four national championships with it, regional championships. And it just, I showed up and at the end of the day, I was one NBHA open handler of the year, open shooting dog of the year. Oh, you know, open, uh, you know, shooting dog handler of the year. And it's like, as an amateur, that was, it was like, okay, where, where do I go from here? You know? And, and it's like, okay, somebody else needs to experience that i want to tell you what it was it it was the highlight of my career with bird dogs and if it's had that effect on you you naturally want to share it with other people oh yes oh yes and it's like i've had i've had some good ones and i've had some that i didn't care for a whole lot but and and you know Field trials and bird dogs can take you places too. I, I've like yourself. I've been all over the country. I've drugged my horse trailer all over the country, pretty much, and it's it's taken me on judging assignments. You know, I, I've got to judge the national amateur pheasant championship out at um, at um, Berea, which was an experience, and I'll get to go to Paducah this year and judge the Kentucky Quail Classic, and I get to go to compete these places, and it's just it's it's fulfillment of a lot of things that us bird dog people really can't explain to other people. Right. Right. It's, 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 it's wonderful. And being win or lose, if your dog did what you consider an excellent performance and you can thump your chest at the end of that, at the end of that trial, you're a winner. That's, that's a great point. And, and, I'll I'll end this discussion with a story that one of my mentors, and that's another thing that's important in the bird dog world is getting, getting in with a mentor. You know, you may not call them a mentor and you may not ask them to be your mentor, but naturally I think all of us can gravitate towards somebody that kind of shepherded us along and were, and was our mentor. But this gentleman that went to church with me, who was a bird dog field trialer in the shoot to retrieve ranks and stuff, knew that I had dogs and stuff. And and I wanted to go with him on some trials and I wanted to go hunting with him. And I was just kind of making those advances towards him and letting him know that, hey, I'd like to tag along. And I asked him, how do I get involved in trials and all this stuff and all these, all these, uh, you know, outward bound questions. And he said, he said, Joe, do you like to shovel dog crap? And and I thought about that for a minute. And the answer to that was no originally. But now, as I've went through time, this is a sport of this is a sport that's a labor of love. You have to love everything from cleaning kennels to stacking that dog up on the table and getting your picture taken with that trophy. You have to love the the worst of the things of it to the very best of the things and everything in between. So my advice would be to learn to love the small things, love to go out there and clean those kennels and feed those dogs and scratch their ears and spend whatever time you can with them. 
And yeah, those advancements and wins and placements, those will be few and far in between for most of us, but I promise you they'll be worth every minute you spend with a dog. Ken, this is this has been great. Like I think hey. people are going to like this and hopefully uh, they'll 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 like this type of material, but we're going to have a lot more people on. We're going to talk about different topics um, specifically. Um, we have We'd love a, to hear feedback feedback from yeah the the people out there. You know what interest did you have? You know it may not be in the next episode. It may right. be two or three episodes down the road. But uh, you know, Joe, you're 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 a wonderful asset to our organization. And your enthusiasm on what you do is greatly appreciated. Well, thank thank you very much, Ken. And I, and like I said, this is too much fun to get to work with you guys and and get to go through you know this sport together. And I wanted to let everybody too know that we we do have a document. It's in the works, and it's literally titled "What to Expect at a Walking Field Trial," and it will be fully comprehensive. It will eventually be posted to our website where you can go and grab a copy of that and print it off, study it, take it with you. And it will be, and it will hopefully be a great tool for everybody. But with that being said, Ken, the sport of field trials, you know, sometimes we feel like it's a small world and it's dwindling. I don't feel that way. I, I feel like it's in a good place. There's good people involved and people still love dogs. And I think as long as people still love dogs, field trials will always have a place in our world. Yes, we've shown at least a 10% growth over the last five years. And, and I see it going much farther than that what scares me is how big is it really going to get that that's what how how much more time is it going to take administratively yeah to be, be a part of this and, well you, you've done a, you've done a great job leading us through these yeah. last few years that you've been involved and you're just a super guy and i can't thank you so much for spending the time tonight to talk to us and go over these questions. I'm sure there'll be more questions and, and we'll funnel them through the right channels to get those answered. If you want to submit them, submit some feedback on the content you'd like to hear too. And the top people, we're, we're going to branch out to everybody. We're, we're not just going to talk only MBHA walking trials. We're going to go out there and grab some horseback guys. We're going to grab some trainers. We're going to grab some owners and get perspective and get context. That way we cover the entire world of field trials. Ken, thank yes. you so much for joining us on the first episode of the Breakaway Podcast. That was the Breakaway Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell a friend, like, and subscribe to all of our social media platforms to stay up to date on everything National Bird Hunters Association and all other field trial-related content. But hopefully, we'll see you next time at the Breakaway.